the best thing that anyone can do for you if you've got ADHD is just be really reassuring and patient and listen as much as you can and like yeah really acknowledge and say to someone like I can't understand what you're going through but I'm here to listen and like be collaborative in it because not always we won't have all the answers but neither will someone else but we can figure them out together. Welcome to the Hurt to Healing podcast with me Pandora Morris. I've been fighting an uphill battle with my mental health for many years and it's only now that I've started to see some glimmers of light. As part of my own recovery, I've made it my mission to support as many of you as possible on your own healing journey by sharing conversations that are more honest and more raw than ever before. I'll be speaking to some wonderful people from all walks of life who will open up about their own invisible struggles in the hope that it will provide a bit of solace and comfort for some of you. The Hurt to Healing podcast is proud to partner with Shout, the UK's first free, confidential, 24-7 tech support service. So if you're struggling to cope and need mental health support, please text SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. On today's episode, I'm thrilled to be joined by Leanne Maskell the best-selling author of three books, The Model Manifesto, ADHD and A to Z, and her most recent book, The Reality Manifesto. She is also a model, an ADHD coach, and a legal activist. She currently works with companies to increase ADHD awareness and to improve mental well-being in the workplace. We are so thrilled to have Leanne joining us this week to speak about her own experience and to raise awareness about this very important and under-discussed topic. Thank you so much for joining us today. Would you just introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, so me, I've just had this weird multi-hyphenate life of lots of different dots all over a map that have somehow ended up to me being now an author of free books. I've got a book about modeling called The Model Manifesto from doing it since age 13. And I studied law at the same time. A bit later than 13, but, um, and realized that I was being exploited. So kind of used that knowledge in the book to help models understand their job. And then I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was 25 and wrote a book about ADHD, basically to <laughs> similar thing, help, um, people navigate the systems because it was something that I literally didn't even think was real, um, even when I was diagnosed, which prevented me from getting the help I needed for a really long time. Um, and the same with all the stigma attached to it, like, so that's something I really try to be very open about now. And I guess this is what I work as most in the day to day at the moment, which is an ADHD coach. And I've got a company called ADHD Works, where I work with both like employees and employers on how to harness ADHD in the workplace. And um, before that, I worked in law as well in mental health and disability law and immigration. And I just published a book this year on social media and uh, mental health and body image because I could see that a lot of the people I was working with were just really, really struggling with that whole online social media world. And it's like ADHD, but it's like something else from social media. Yeah. Well, it all sounds incredibly constructive. And yeah, you've done a huge amount of really fabulous work. But um, will you just talk to us a bit about ADHD? So what exactly is ADHD for someone who doesn't know what it is and how can it manifest itself? Um, So attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is essentially 
a neurodevelopmental condition associated with symptoms of being hyperactive, which definitely can be physically or mentally. For me, it's mentally. Many girls, especially, it's all in the head, um, literally. And impulsivity, so that could be something like making very spontaneous decisions without thinking them through. Or I always think of it like not having the box in your head where you think of what you're saying before you say it. I'm trying to consciously do that right now, and it's an odd experience. And inattention, so when you're struggling to essentially pay attention, concentrate, focus. And what I find really fascinating about this is just the impact it's got on your executive functioning part of your brain so it's all the bits to do with like self-awareness emotional regulation organization and planning like all of the things where we have to think of how to get from a to b and that is neurodevelopmentally impacted by up to 30 percent and i think adhd is something that again now it's really easy to talk about it and think like we've all got symptoms we all definitely do have symptoms of it but to be diagnosed with it, you would have to have two or more areas of your life that are significantly impacted by these symptoms for a long period of time. I think it's like six months at least from and recurring since childhood. So ADHD is typically something that you're born with. Um, but I do think that we're in a society now where the symptoms have just been induced by technology and like the very fast world. And that can be diagnosed as ADHD. It can be ADHD. It's a very complex world there, but, um, I would say to a lot of people, if they're wondering if I have ADHD, if you are kind of able to live your life more or less okay, you're probably okay because it can be a really overwhelming thing to think about and get lost in Google and Reddit and Vortexes and trying to figure that stuff out. But a psychiatrist is only going to ask you the same questions anyway. There's no magic test that they do. So when did you first become aware that you were sort of slightly different from your contemporaries and that your brain maybe operated in a slightly different way? I mean, I know you say you were freshly diagnosed in your 20s, but what happened before that? I think I'd always been really aware of it. Like at school, I just couldn't concentrate. But my teacher, but I could do the exams. I could like just cram in at the end of um, school. And I would always be doing my homework like on the way to school. And other people seemed to be able to do it, like, and actually turn up and, like, know what was going on. And I just felt like I never knew what was going on, ever. <laughs> just, like, didn't even try, kind of checked out mentally a lot of the time. But then in my exams, I could just cram it all in because of the anxiety of knowing that I'd not done anything all year. And I could teach myself it. So I got, like, all A's, my A-levels. My teacher asked the class if I cheated. <laughs> she was like, it's not possible that Leanne has got A's. And I was like, oh! I did, just, you know, I was like, maybe my brain is somehow cheating, but I was like, yeah, it was just, I knew from that point, I was like, I didn't cheat, um, technically speaking, like, however they think of cheating. And then I think the same at university, I just knew well, when I went into lectures, I could not focus at all. I just literally could not do it. And um, other people seemed to be able to do the focus and the reading and, like, understand what was being said. But again, at uni, I managed to cram it all in at the end and then graduated. So I kind of got through these hurdles because I'd learned the format of like how to do an exam. But then once I graduated, I think that was really, and I remember actually in my second year, everyone came back and they were like, have you applied for a vacation scheme? And I was like, what on earth is a vacation scheme? And how do you apply for one? And I like Googled it and was like, oh my God, it's like seven rounds of interviews for these things, no. And my brain was like, no, no, no. And it just felt like I was definitely behind, but I was quite fortunate in a way because I was doing modeling. So I was like, well, I'll just do a year of modeling. And then I could do law, but once I graduated, that's when things really changed. And I think the same with ADHD in general, like 
sometimes you can be okay, but then there's an environmental change, like maybe someone dies or you change job or you move and then your structures change and then everything kind of collapses slightly collapses um, which is kind of what happened to me yeah so that's an interesting point I mean can you identify triggers and can you avoid them or do you find that quite often these triggers just arise and you have to cope with them now I'm much better like now obviously because I know about ADHD and I know I've got it and that's the real benefit of being able to learn about it and that's kind of why I wrote this book because once someone had told me, oh, you've got ADHD, the psychiatrist, I was like, that's not a real problem. And I went on holiday for two weeks and I was meant to go back after the two weeks, but um, ended up like moving spontaneously with someone I met on the beach to Australia. So I came back a year later, much poorer. And I was like, hello, actually, maybe there's a point to this ADHD thing. So yeah, like they, the triggers, they'd say are different in situations, but I guess in the one that I was talking about with like the changing, so Especially as a child, if you haven't been diagnosed, but having these like um, grounding like routines, if you've got family, friends, a support network, if you've got a job, like full-time education, these kind of things that you're doing day to day, which are like help you feel sane, like exercising. I think there's points, particularly I've seen kids when they go from um, junior school to senior school, that is a really big trigger point for a lot of them. And then there's a point when they're about 14 when they suddenly are expected to be able to prepare all their own work, kind of the same when they go to university. And it's like, okay, now, now it's all on you. And they're like, what, what? No one teaches you what to do in the free periods or like how to study or like explains these things to you. And then I think as an adult, more as an adult, when you go to university, these kind of environmental factors when you're moving house or where you live and you've got to kind of realign your brain because especially, I guess, if you've got a different brain, to most people and you figure out a way to work with it in the situation in which you kind of grow up and then it changes then it can be really really overwhelming to figure out how to how to adjust so you became a model at the age of 13 was that a trigger for you I guess so definitely <laughs> I um my mum kind of made me do it so oh yeah I've never really thought about it at that age in relation to ADHD because my mum was kind of like taking me to shoots I did it like every month and it was more of a like very odd experience. Modeling as well is not the best for me. I'm ADHD because it's so boring. It's like you've got to stand there all day and like get changed over and it's a really repetitive and boring job, like which I think people wouldn't really think of it. But as an adult going to castings is particularly heart-wrenchingly painful when you've got a kind of already sensitivity to rejection and being told like you're fat and ugly. <laughs> to your face is not really like the best working environment do you find this sort of element of perfectionism quite triggering and also the body image side of things do you has that ever interfered with your life 100 percent. that's why i wrote this new book um the reality manifesto book um, there's this whole chapter on like perfectionism with adhd it feels like having a brain that is like either it has to be perfect or don't do it at all and obviously like perfectionism doesn't exist so it's kind of keeping yourself um, in a state where you're beating yourself up all the time. And then there's this huge rejection sensitive dysphoria related to ADHD, which they found that is like the one thing very firmly related to the condition, as opposed to other conditions with mood swings like um, bipolar. And then I think the body image bit is a quite a different topic. Well, it's not, it's the same. So many people that I work with have got eating problems, whether that is like being addicted to snacking and unhealthy food, alcohol, um, smoking, but also like, control and trying to control like 
anorexia, bulimia, like these kind of issues that arise. And I do think it's a way of trying to control our inner worlds because our brains are just ah, we're going to live the place. It's like, how can we regain some sense of control? Um, which obviously, as you know, is not really that possible. Yeah, no, I mean, I th- it's interesting, this whole sort of comorbidities and um, cross addictions, which are just so, so common nowadays. And I mean, how do you help people within these companies? I mean, if someone's really struggling at work with ADHD, how can they sort of, you know, move forward and learn to manage it better? Well, there are lots of different situations. So I kind of start by getting policies in place because especially I think of being diagnosed with ADHD and probably any condition as an adult like this, like being told you're a wizard, like in Harry Potter, because you're like, okay, well, now what do I do? Like, sorry, like hey, you have ADHD. And often it's a really expensive, long, complicated road to even getting that diagnosis. And you expect that will be a fix, but then it's not. And then also often to be given medication which can be really hard to get right and like really complicated because you don't again you don't know what it's meant to do um how you're meant to feel you can really overthink it we already struggle with self-awareness so it's like is this working is it not working no more and then in the employment context it's really hard because they've got um like ADHD can very much be considered a disability where an employer's got to make reasonable adjustments for someone um, and that might look like a change in their environment, such as letting them work flexible hours, or quite often they'll pay for them to have coaching with me. Um, but the coaching, personally, I found that to be really life-changing, which is why I became a coach. But it was just someone that could help me understand all of my habits, like the rejection sensitivity, like the impulsive overthinking um, and time management, these things, and develop routines and like hold me accountable because like I mentioned about the executive functioning delay it doesn't mean their skills aren't there it just means that someone needs to help me understand them in order to be like my colleagues who I somehow know what to do magically but so that's the element of like actually giving someone coaching helping them understand as well like what ADHD is like how it might impact them what they struggle with at work and what could change and often the things that could help are really simple like the most helpful one that I found um, is like just giving someone written instructions for work, which is like literally so some like why doesn't everyone do this? But um I guess we are living in like an age of Zoom calls and like millions of emails, but just having the instructions set out so that someone knows exactly what they've got to do and they don't feel anxious. Um I also help them create like um policies because again there's often just not the policy in place and then they don't know what to do and they're actually stuck by like bureaucracy and like trying to navigate oh can we do this what should we do and in the meantime the individual is just like "Ah, i'm gonna get fired oh my god Um, whereas actually what's happening is just like a bureaucratic mess but if you solve those problems at the outset it can be really helpful yeah and and what about schools for younger kids how can they be helped in a school environment in the same way, I don't work with kids as I try to write a book for them. <laughs> like, here you go, take the book, good luck. Um, because it's a whole different world. Like, so I work with a few teenagers now, but I try to limit it because often their parents will bring them, but they won't necessarily want to do the coaching. And like, yeah, I can coach. I just think I don't want to ever like take someone's money if I can't help them as well. Um, and like, also you can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped. And like the whole thing of navigating that, I think that what kids need is more of a mentor and more like people they can just chat to about what they're experiencing, especially people that have gone through the same things. 
but the same so with some of the ones that I work with we'll do the same thing it's like just identify okay what even is this like ADHD thing what does that mean what things help you study what do you struggle with and then the same thing of like kind of creating them up a list and then they can take it to their school and say well their parents can and have a chat with them but I do from my experience the schools are so overstretched and they would have like a special needs teacher or someone there that is meant to be providing the support that just doesn't give it so it depends a lot on so many factors like the school itself the parents like how much they want to get involved and the teachers like of the child because they can often make a huge difference in just the way that they communicate and check if a child like for me you know being asked by my the whole like the teacher asking the whole class if I cheated my exam is like obviously not a very good way to help me learn because they're not picking up on the fact that I'm not learning anything um they're just kind of shaming me for it but just things like that it make a really huge massive difference to kids I just want to take a quick moment to say a big thank you to my wonderful sponsor, Bowdoin. Bowdoin is a British brand that has championed uplifting, eclectic British style since it was founded 31 years ago. Perhaps it's time to add to your collection this autumn with some new knitwear, maybe with a modern twist such as a puff sleeve. I've just indulged in a new ultra soft cashmere, which I can honestly tell you I'll be living in this winter. But what I love most about the brand is that they've always championed women from a variety of different backgrounds and seek to inspire them to enjoy a life well lived, which is exactly what I'm aiming to do with my podcast. Head to Bowden.com to check out their new autumn collection or to their Instagram at Bowden underscore clothing. And Leanne, so you've also spoken about having suicidal ideation and when you're in Australia, sort of sinking to a real all-time low. And I guess from the outside, you look like this sort of perfect person. And on social media, which you've written about, you know, putting up all these photos of you looking like you're having the perfect life, as is so often the case. And uh, yet you were really struggling inside. So what was going on there? And how did you get yourself out of that hole? I mentioned once I graduated from uni and things kind of fell apart because I just couldn't figure out what to do with my life. Social media, Instagram was becoming quite big and to the point where I would go to castings and clients would ask me like how many followers I had and my agency at the time told me to buy followers so I was like, oh, well, yeah, okay. So I just bought, like all my friends had fake followers. It was like a very normal thing but it's also, again, really weirdly shameful thing because... It's like, why does someone need to buy followers to get a job? Anyway, I kind of, all the anxiety about like not being able to get a job or fit into normal society, maybe just like kind of plug in more to an unreal world on my phone, whether that was posting like modeling photos, which again, like back then I was like editing my body on like the Facetune because I already had an insecurity from like being um, pressured to lose weight from modeling industry. And I ended up seeing a photo of Australia and going over there. And then, yeah, and like moving over and just, I had the most beautiful life from the outset. I was literally on like huge gigantic super yachts and doing photo, I like did really well with modeling over there. So I was in like covers of magazines and like really big campaigns and having shoots on the beach. And literally all my friends were here being like, you're so lucky. Oh my God. And I was like, now what do I do with my life? I was like, like, cause I kind of got there and I was like, okay, so I look even happier than ever. But all I, I was finding I was waking up and like just thinking about what I would post on Instagram that day. And like, 
I couldn't really figure out what to do next. And I just felt like um, this really intense anxiety, which ended up with me becoming just very suicidal and being like, what is the point of being alive? And it's a like, I think social media is so, so dangerous for that because already it's like a place that fosters quite unhealthy thoughts of comparisons and feeling bad about yourself in general. And then, yeah, so it's a really, really horrible mental, like, prison to be in and I do think a lot of people are in it so I think anyone listening to this that can resonate you're not alone <laughs> literally everyone <laughs> has these experiences and I think it's really important to get help for, for that because it can feel so scary when like someone's like have you ever felt thought about killing yourself and you're like no 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 because you don't want to like find out what happens next whether you get sectioned or something like that but um it is like a really normal thing to feel and talk about. So I do think it's really important to just speak about it before it becomes like an addictive thing that you might act on. And it's obviously not enough. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't like, it's not a normal thing to like think on a daily basis. So you should definitely get help for it, but it's not a shameful thing. In your day-to-day life now, how does your ADHD manifest itself? No. So I've been diagnosed for four years and in that time written my book about ADHD become a coach all these things and it is funny because I think for me I thought writing the book would help me be like okay done checkbox done don't have the problem bye and especially after I was diagnosed I was like well that was weird no let's just ignore that um and I was put on the medication I had a really tough time of it in the beginning and then I was like maybe I just won't take it at all and I'll just forget that whole thing and then and I do think like I talk to a lot of people that have the same experience when you get diagnosed you actually have a really tough time in the beginning of like navigating what that even means and and so for me now being self-employed I've been self-employed for almost a year but I think the main issues that I've definitely overcome recently with having coaching has been like not just saying yes to literally everything and a few months ago I was working I wake up at six o'clock in the morning and work until like midnight which is really not a very healthy way to live um and I think doing things that aren't like mentally stimulating so with ADHD you're craving stimulation and dopamine and like you can be really easily distracted I have a sign on my wall that says do not bring your phone upstairs because um if I take it upstairs it will be like on it all night these kind of things um like phone addiction I've got lots of measures in place to like make sure that I go on that as limited map as possible and I really really struggle with the same decision making getting overwhelmed like uh, but I've had a really helpful coach in the last three months and she's helped me get my priorities in order and like make sure that I'm doing things that I want to be doing like the book that I just published I'm glad that I wrote that book but I did not need to at all I didn't like there's literally no reason for me to write that but I like it was good to help people if it's there but um having published it it's been really nice I've you know talked on like BBC and gone and presented to like MPs and the government on it to help with like these online safety laws but these are not things that I need to do they take a lot of my time and um, I'm not being paid for them and the book you know books don't make very much money anyway but so that's really for me now is like regulating myself getting into routines exercise had a really really big struggle with getting healthy um routines on a daily basis where like and yeah, so I think for ADHD brains, a really big misconception is like, oh, they struggle with like big tasks. Let's give them less work, like in the workplace. But actually, we're really good at the big things, like writing a book. It's the things like clothes washing, <laughs> like like just stuff like these things where I kind of can recognize it and I know what I need to do. Stuff like having routines, going to yoga every morning, taking medication at the same time every morning, not overthinking things, going to therapy, having coaching. 
but yeah, it can get really overwhelming and really, I still have all the same issues, <laughs> but I guess I'm a bit kinder to myself these days. Um, I have better systems of managing them, but definitely still there and probably always will be. So, Yeah, and I think it's like anything. It's you learn the tools and once you have the toolbox and you're really determined to use it, you do start yeah. to see glimmers of sort of freedom and light. And as you say, it's um, knowing what works for you, I think is crucial. Yeah. So talk to me about relationships in terms of family, friends, romantic relationships. Do you find those tough do you avoid them have your friends been good and supportive how can friends and family help as well for someone with ADHD Uh, I find relationships very hard (laughs) Uh, yeah it's it is like all or nothing kind of mentality as well and then there's a lot of social things which are like saying yes to all your friends on separate occasions and you've double booked yourself with lots of different people and then you have to explain it all to them and they'll get annoyed and people pleasing huge gigantic never-ending problem to the point where if particularly when I was younger like if someone wanted to date me I would just date them like okay and I'd be like ah I don't want to date this person how do I get out of this relationship hmm and like yeah really quite vulnerable I found in my life and that's why I try to work really hard with people now that are in the same positions because we, it's, it's a natural tendency to be like, it's all my fault. It's me. It's me. It's me. Um, but actually a lot of the time it's like, well, people are taking advantage of you and the family situation and friends. Like, yeah, I think it's really challenging for other people to understand particularly. I think there's a big generational thing. And that's, I think the hardest thing about being diagnosed is you have this responsibility, not only of learning it yourself, but you're expected to educate the other people around you. And it's a really annoying thing about it. But yeah, and it's it's a really tricky thing because I think ultimately everyone does, should hopefully have good intentions and like want the best for you. Um, but the best thing that anyone can do for you if you've got ADHD is just be really reassuring and patient and listen as much as you can. And like, you know, really acknowledge and say to someone like, I can't understand what you're going through, but I'm here to listen and help you have a, and, and like be collaborative in it because not always we won't have all the answers but neither will someone else but we can figure them out together what was your motivation for writing the book about ADHD what was the main incentive and how did you conjure this amazing idea of doing it alphabetically and uh, the alphabet idea it was when I moved to Australia and there was my yoga class and just got the idea of doing an A to Z blog post about modeling um, and I was like, rah, 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 rah. and it got out into my car and then like wrote it in the back of a book. And that is the format for all of my books. So that's the only way I can write books now. And then the ADHD book, I basically had been diagnosed. I wasn't really sure. I went through this whole process where like I got the diagnosis, had a year of like kind of knowing about ADHD, but not doing anything where I did do things like I did yoga and I became vegan for a couple of months. And I did things like I, I made these like environmental changes that really helped me. And then coming into my job, I had to change doctor and they were like, Oh, if you need to change medication again, said you're going to have to get re-diagnosed through us. And the waiting list is seven years long. I was like, what was that? Like, you say seven years. And they're like, yeah. And I said, well, that is crazy. Like, I'll be dead by then if I, if I need something. Like, seven years is a really long time. Um, and they said, yeah, that's just the waiting list that we've got for NHS assessments. Um, and I was like, what do people do then? And they were like, I just wait. Like, that is that seems really bad to me. Um, what the hell? So then I went back and I 
wrote this book like literally like that day at work I just went back to my computer and I was like hey ADHD and just hyper focused wrote it in like three weeks um over Christmas and figured out a way to put it onto Amazon like self-publish it but then a few months later someone from Microsoft messaged me and they're like your book was really amazing it's changed my life uh, can you come and talk at Microsoft about your condition and how we can help and how we can be a better employer for people with ADHD and I was like okay yeah sure why not um my dad was like it's a hoax don't do that don't reply to that message and I was like, oh. but they did and that kind of then set off the chain but again that book has been so incredible and I had no idea that so many people would read it it's like genuinely amazes me every day I get messages from people really emotionally resonating with it which is really nice I feel less alone <laughs> I read my books sometimes I'm like there's someone out there that understands me it's me yeah for someone who's struggling as well going to get therapy for ADHD what does the therapy actually entail and and the treatment for ADHD involve the therapy for it is I guess different to coaching and I've tried to find ADHD-focused therapy, but I can't. Um, so I didn't know the therapy. I guess the therapy would be going to be usual talking therapy, which is really important. And that is kind of processing what's happened so far, emotions, like looking backwards, figuring out what has led you to the point where you're at right now. Um, and then what I do is slightly different coaching. So that is more looking forwards and being like, okay, what do you want to do next? Like, how do you want to put these things into practice? Like, where do you want to go and how can we help you get there? So it's very, like each session we would kind of break down a challenge, like time management or scheduling, looking at what isn't working, what is working, and then putting in like actions between each session. And coaching is a bit more like you would learn the skills that would help you forever, hopefully. Um, whereas therapy, I think, is something important to have forever. Therapy is a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a really great note to finish on. And I would love to just ask you some quick fire questions. So if I had the courage, I would... Hmm, I would go back, I would finish my stand-up comedy course. <laughs> There are like two sessions left and I'm like, ah, I don't want to do that. There's a performance at the end. Like, no, 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 no. But I I would probably go back and finish it. But scary, especially now I've quit. (laughs) (laughs) Right now I am. Right now I am probably overwhelmed. (laughs) And my healing journey is? Oh, my healing journey is never ending. (laughs) It's, It's a fun journey. It's kind of, but it gets easier. And I think that is the important thing to know, like, I don't know, it doesn't become fun, but it's like you just have a level of acceptance for yourself and understanding and it almost becomes who you are. It's not like, ah, I'm on my journey. It's like, it's just the day to day. Brilliant. Well, Leanne, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and I'm in absolute admiration of what you're doing and all your great work. And I think it's really the way forward and the more companies that can hear about you know, how you can help and the more people that gain access to it, the better. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hurt to Healing podcast. I'd love for you to subscribe to the show or to follow me on our Hurt to Healing Instagram at Hurt to Healing Pod. You might also have a friend or family member that you think might benefit from hearing this conversation. So please spread the word. Hurt to Healing has partnered with Brown Advisory to bring you this podcast. 
Brown Advisory, a global investment management firm, is passionate about raising awareness of mental health challenges in order to help people thrive in an ever-changing world. A big thank you to Brown Advisory for supporting my mission.